Welcome to In Conversation, a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. Each month, your host and the panel of senior practitioners take you through the stories and developments of the month in the practice of corporate public affairs across the globe. Now, to take you through the latest developments, here is your host, Wayne Burns. Welcome to In Conversation, a regular panel podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs, where we interrogate uh, or grill one of our senior practitioners in the function working across Asia Pacific about the contemporary news and latest developments in the function. This week we're talking to Alison Melville, who's Associate Director of Corporate Affairs for Australia and New Zealand for Bristol Myers Squibb. Alison, welcome, and are you ready for your grilling? <laughs> Very well, very well. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm ready for my grilling. <laughs> You're ready for your grilling. And uh, it must be a bit of relief after how many days of lockdown did you, you were based in Melbourne, how many days of lockdown in 2020 did you have? We had 188 days in lockdown. Not that I'm counting, but <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah. 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 So that really changed the way, uh, changed lots of things at home, but changed a lot of the way you work as well. Oh, hugely. I cannot think of something more transformative really than, than 2020 and the way that we tackled that instant remote working um, problem and, and I guess all of the innovation that came out of out of that really challenging situation. Facebook unfriended Australia a couple of weeks ago and um, for Australians who rely on um, Facebook for, for some of their news and their news feed didn't have it for a little while and then we'll friend it again and just wondering as a professional communicator and and I guess finding it more difficult for companies to get their stories and messages out what what did the, the, the that Facebook episode and it seems to be, I won't say there was a national nervous breakdown but there was a national like <sighs> intake of breath what what does it say about us and the way we consume news uh, these days? Well, wasn't it a, a sensational sort of slapdown by Facebook? Really, um, they they certainly put their money where their mouth is and um, very quickly acted in response to the, the um, media bargaining laws that were proposed. And so I think um, collectively as, as, as corporate, um, big corporates, people did take a big inhale and think how what is this going to mean for us and we sort of scrambled to sort of look at one how important is Facebook to dissemination of news for for us um and equally you know who who is it that is actually reading the news on on the on Facebook and who is going to be most impacted by this what what when I thought about it and how it would impact sort of our corporate affairs I thought it really mean a greater reliance on us creating our own narrative to share through Facebook rather than relying on that social echo of news. So I think especially in the pharmaceutical space, we obviously cannot put out um, direct-to-consumer, any any direct-to-consumer advertising. So when we do have an opportunity to make announcements about new medicines, that the importance of that social echo through social is, is, is huge because it really does mean that if you miss the 30 seconds on the news or the clip in the paper that day, it has a little bit long, more longevity and certainly an enormous um, amount of reach. So without that, how do we get that message across? I'm pretty sure that people are much more likely to share the age.com rather than bms.com content. And so it, it did certainly look at how we were going to be able to disseminate news. 
what does it say? You know, that calls for for, for, for regulation. Uh, what, what do you think about that? I mean, there are, there's regulations around broadcasting. There's some regulations around print in terms of defamation, uh, uh, mainly around print um, and and online as well. But if if an organisation uh, like Facebook or Google becomes the or Instagram becomes the prime um, source of news for, for for so many people. Is there a case for regulation? Do you think? I think so. I think there's probably a, a number of ways that Facebook have tried to say that they are regulating themselves in terms of a new source, in, and they've you know instituted mm. fact checking um, to a certain level of degree of successfulness. I think we certainly can say that we can see, still see a lot of misinformation um, spread on on Facebook. I think. The reliance as a news source is a little worrying. I think it kind of was a bit of a wake-up call for a lot of people that realised, I'm not using Facebook as my as my news source. I'm going to have to find another way, a, a different way to, to get my news. And although Facebook is not the only source, there, there is a great percentage of people that do, do get, get their news from the algorithms in, in, um, in Facebook. And I think we were discussing the in the, um, in the wake of the unfriending, we... The ABC app was the number one downloaded app um, on the, in the app store. So people were very quickly wanting to change and find a, a reliable source for their for their news. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens next. I don't think that this is over. I, I believe it's still, um, the laws are still to be discussed in the Senate um, and it will be very, very interesting to see what happens next um, and whether the Australian government holds tight um, to, to what they propose and, and expect these big giants to pay for content, for the sharing of content. Uh, I guess most people, do they really want to be informed or are they happy for, or do they think even think about an algorithm is delivering the news that the algorithm thinks um, uh, you want. Is that is that a good thing or is it a bad thing or is it something we shouldn't be worried about? Indifferent. It certainly means that we receive news in more of a vacuum. If we if we are delivered news by by an algorithm, which is really around things that we want to know, you know, it's that kind of want versus we should know. We should know about. Um, so I, I I think it's probably not a not a great thing. I think as corporate communicators, we think multi-channel all the time. But you're right, not everyone does. People pretty set in their ways. Um, I think there's a lot of that what they call you know double screening or even triple screening now. So we're kind of receiving news and information. We're bombarded. We might have the news on, our phones on, a tablet on, our laptop kicking on over there. You know, we're, we're, we are absolutely being bombarded with news. So I think the challenge um, for communicators is going to be how do we make sure that our messages are getting through the, all of those different um, ways that we can receive information effectively um, and also that that people are not kind of getting into their little vortex and, and, and getting the world is not getting smaller for them even though the world of information is getting larger. What's your view? Uh, how, how difficult or, or has there been no change in the last five or six years in the ability, do you think, of corporations to get out their narrative, to, to tell their stories and... Um, not because they just want their, their sort of name out there, but because they've got stories to tell, or there's public information that they think is is very important. What's your what, what's your view? Is that become more difficult? Um, same, um, easier? I think um, in some aspects, because of that social echo of platforms like Facebook, uh, the 
it has become easier. So an example is we might get a fantastic piece of coverage in Cairns, in in the <laughs> Wind News Cairns, and that is shared as a clip on Facebook or on Twitter or both, um, and then that has the um, ability to reach all over Australia. It isn't just targeted to people in Cairns. So because of social, that's mean that these smaller clips, we can be quite targeted and still still reach a lot of people, which is fantastic. I think the general news cycle is much, much tougher to crack, especially over 2020. Um, health has been, of course, dominated by the pandemic and will continue be, to be dominated by, by but, you know, the vaccine and then what's next in sort of health and health budgets. Health stories are particularly difficult um, to fit into that news cycle at the moment, although we've had a recent experience where we have been successful and I think it was really due to the fact that we had a positive news story in a pretty doom and gloom um, news environment at the moment, something positive and different about health that actually ironically isn't pandemic-related has been... Um, has had a, a good amount of pickup. I think in the kind of corporate reputation space, it's um, it's no longer uh, it's not that easy if you're just putting out a message as BMS as, as your company. Here's our here's what we're doing. However, if you sort of pick an issue, a multi-stakeholder issue, and you have a point of that point of view, and then you bring other people on the journey, and it becomes a, a sort of a societal issue that has many more voices, which is end up, ends up being, of course, a much better piece anyway, much more likely to get traction in, in that sort of consumer world. The days of just BMS putting out a media release about BMS, um, I can't even remember the last time we've done that. That's sort of not the way that we can do media relations anymore. What's your take on how, across Australia, Asia, Asia Pacific, how, how have we gone um, the last 12, 14 months uh, on how... Um, governments, uh, scientists, and especially public health officials have communicated um, what are usually what what in any circumstances are a complex epidemiological um, uh, fields of, of of view and and comment and 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 fact. What what mark would you give them out of ten? Certainly. Well, I. Look, I may be unbiased, but I certainly think in Australia, science it's the year of the science communicator. We're, we're really hot right now, I think, Lane. Um, the, if you had have said to me a year ago that, that we would have the general public discussing efficacy data of, you know, different this vaccine, efficacy and safety of this vaccine, um, we would have laughed. We, we didn't even use the word efficacy in, in, in sort of the general day-to-day. And so I think... Um, First of all, Australians are pretty health literate. We, are, we have one of the highest levels of health literacy in the world. Um, and I think you can see that by the public discourse about the vaccinations and also really around our COVID response. We've also been helped by these sort of superstar science communicators like Norman Swan and, and also by, um, you know, the, our chief health officers in each state who have become sort of superstars in their own right um, as they take us along this, this public health crisis and, and bring us on that journey. So really um, it is a time for science to shine, I think, and and, and I, I believe that farmers had a bit of a reputation reset. So it was very, very um, difficult to get stories about fantastic breakthrough medicines from pharmaceutical companies out there because they were always dealt with with a degree of scepticism um, and tarnished by the name of, of Big Pharma. However, I think that the... Um, 
we've turned a little bit of a corner and people are seeing um, these pharmaceutical companies and, and their subsequent vaccines and investments in science as the heroes that are getting us out of the, the greatest health challenge we've had in our lifetime. So it's um, certainly a fantastic time to be in as a science communicator. Um, uh, you can see I'm very excited. It's a fantastic time to be in that industry. Um, how do you think the, mostly or generally our, our elected officials have gone in terms of their communication? I think we collectively have done a really good job. I think the need for consistent and and um, regular communication has been um, proven. And, and, again, I don't think my mum ever knew what a press release was or a presser, as she calls it now. And now, again, that's become... <laughs> quite au fait in the vernacular of, of many Australians talking about what time is the presser. And so they they also <laughs> realise the time that information is delivered and, um, you know, and share that media, media releases are being shared around, screenshotted and shared around. So um, I can speak for the ones that I've viewed quite regularly in Victoria. As a Victorian um, from the Andrews government, they are very, very clear, short and directive. And I think in a public health situation like yeah, that, that's what you want. You just want to be able to scroll through and see what's changed. I think that what that the government was supported by some great, um, you know, it, the information was disseminated very, very quickly on Twitter as well. Um, and so, as soon as as changes were made to our environment, they were communicated pretty clearly and pretty consistently. Um, you know, there was hiccups along the way, and I think everyone learnt as they as, as we went and. And there were some decisions that were backtracked based on public opinion, which I think is also part and parcel with going through a pandemic um, like we never have before. You are listening to In Conversation, a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs, a membership-based organisation comprising companies, industry associations and government departments across Asia-Pacific. The Centre works with its members and other entities to apply best practice to extend their social licence to operate. The centre develops and delivers executive education globally, conducts research and provides specialist consulting services. Now, back to your host of this episode of In Conversation. Yeah, it's certainly been a good uh, case study and what worked and what didn't work. And um, in Australia and, and uh, lots of other places in, in Asia, um, the deferral to um, to the science and to, to public health expertise. What, what, what's your view, especially around um, business? Do you think some sectors have had a, a good pandemic in the sense that uh, amid the what's been a horrible time, um, you know, for, for, for so many people, especially those who've lost loved ones um, and those who've, you know, lost their jobs and um, their businesses, um, for some sectors, do you think it's been a bit of a, a reset or it's been a bit of an opportunity to think about what they should be doing to define their reputation? I do. I do. I actually think that very early on in the pandemic, we realised that um, people were not just looking to, to their employers for guidance about, you know, what should I be doing at work, but they were... They were really relying them on for, for news about how to tackle kind of their day to day because life and um, work really and home really blended into one. So in a way, you brought your work into your bedroom or into your lounge room, and so with that comes a level of um, reliance. And I think that that we really meant that that sort of 
GM type communication or leadership communication through to employers um, needed to be spot on, the tone needed to be right, the frequency needed to be right. We really needed to show an utmost amount of care. And I really think lots of organisations really did an amazing job in supporting their employees through um, through the pandemic, not just with, with your classic mental health um, sort of programs, but also by identifying things like people are overwhelmed, they're, they're blending um, work and home too much, they're not stopping, um, you know, the workload has increased. And so with that, certainly BMS has done a number of things like institute a, a quiet week where there's no or very limited emails and provided a couple of, you know, extra days off. And also things like quiet Fridays where they try, we try not to have meetings on Fridays so you have a day when you catch up because without that incidental uh, you know, dialogue in in an office. I can certainly say I'm drowning in in meetings, and then you need to have time to actually do your work. So with all of that combined, I think an organisation has a really great opportunity with their own people to sort of redefine the relationship that you have with your work, and hopefully come out the other side feeling like I was looked after, I was heard, and we are more of a community. We're stronger for it than ever. It's, it's interesting you said about the, the, the reputation reset for uh, pharmaceuticals um, and also for healthcare providers as, uh, as well. The healthcare providers in, in, in Australia, especially in the public system, have always had a high reputation and, and considerable affection from the community, and that's just sort of skyrocketed um, uh, during the last 12, 12 months. We're interested to, to see um, what you think about what's happening in the financial services sector because the, um, the industry that that the, the cop the most flack and that seemed to be crawling through the reputational valley of death more than any other industry was uh, financial services and especially um, the banks. What what do you see that that's happened there? The the uh, research shows that the, you know the, the banks' reputation with the general community and with their customers has really increased during the pandemic, and but their industry reputation. Before then, um, and especially after the 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 uh, Hayne Royal Commission um, was in the doldrums, what what's happened there? Do you th- do you see as a professional corporate public affairs practitioner? I think again on the back of two very serious um, crises we had in in Australia in twenty twenty, and one the first one being the bushfires, which feels like a very distant memory, but I I, I viscerally remember feeling. Um, lots of communication from the banks about we're here to help, we have bushfire relief for those involved um, and certainly similar um, similar type communication through through pandemic externally. They've really focused on what they can do for their customers and I think trying to be a bit more transparent um, in, in how they tackle business. So I think that they probably use the, um, the Royal Commission as a, res- as a real reset. And they've just been building it up piece by piece since then. And I think um, they've done quite a good job of it. I think that it's um, collectively as an industry, their, their efforts they're putting into grassroots um, grassroots activities, really getting back to what customer needs, listening to customers more. I think it's had a, well, you can see it's had a really um, fantastic effect on the reputation of that industry as a whole. Mm, it'd be interesting to see if that's sustained because um, it, it's just going to be a difficult financial year um, or difficult financially this year for many businesses especially and and people with mortgages and some hard decisions will have to be made. Uh, be interesting to see if the banks have enough reputational capital in the bank, so to speak, in the account um, to sustain that, that 
that high reputation. Working from home, you've got a young family as well. You manage a team. You're part of a global organisation. So um, your accountabilities are local, but they're also global. There's those early morning calls and late night calls and meetings. How have you kept your personal well of energy going? Where are you finding your energy and your resilience from? What are you doing? So I certainly think by the time I got to December last last year, I would have I was on I was empty. My fuel tank was empty. We we were sort of in crisis mode, but for an entire year, and we we didn't really have a chance to come up and see that we were continually working in crisis mode, but we were. And then we were also doing our business as usual job on top of everything else, um, and taking advantage of these sort of reputational opportunities that came that have been coming up. So we really took December and January as a bit of a reset to to realise that we cannot continue to pile and pile and pile and pile on top of us and really look at what we can what we can take out and what we can leave behind and where we should focus our our um, energy because we I think it's a it's a real risk especially in corporate affairs the risk of burnout is high because we were we have really truly um, proven our value through a crisis situation. However, now everyone wants a piece of you <laughs> and everyone wants you involved. So it's that double-edged sword. You don't want to be left out, but you also don't need to be in every single activity and conversation that happens across the business. So really taking the time to slow down, stop, and strategically look at where we can add the most value and achieve our business goals. With that, with also having time to leave our desks and have a life has been really, that's been my number one priority for January and February, and I can't believe we're into March already. So, and we, and I think it's also not a job that we we complete. So, I think it's something that we need to continually assess because it's very very easy for things to sneak back in. So, we need to continually assess are we working on the things that matter? Yeah, and that and and some of that is a difficult. Uh, comes to one of the most difficult things for a lot of corporate public affairs practitioners to do is, and that is to say no. Uh, to uh, to request an activity um, that really isn't going to shift the needle for anybody, and that's a uh, difficult conversations to have. Well, it's been talking about conversations. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much uh, for, for joining us. Um, it's a pleasure to have you in in conversation, and uh, wish you well for the rest of the year. Maybe we can uh, in twelve months uh, time get back together, Grant, and um, and see how twenty twenty one has gone. Um, uh, around some of the issues we've uh, discussed today. So thank you, Alison, and um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with our next episode of In Conversation. Uh, We look forward to being with you then. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In Conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe for more at the Centre's Very Public Affairs podcast show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For more information about best practice public affairs, visit the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs at www.accpa.com.au.